Hallelujah. Come on, let us stand in this place. Let us all stand up. You can't help but feel music like that. Amen. It isn't just about music. It's about something that's caught up inside. And I see some of you, even our sound people and people up there, you think they're doing technical work, but they're going like this. and they're... What you can't do is you can't just, I don't know how you can just. I mean, even I, I don't, want, I don't know how to dance, but I want to like, you know. I see some of you getting in the aisles. Something happens when you celebrate the Lord. He's just been too good to us to worry about the quorum and product protocol. And has the Lord been good to you? know, I guess people can only shout and dance the way you do. When you've been out and now you're in, you've been broken and now made whole, you were a mess and now you're kind of less of a mess. Come on, do I have a church here today? Hallelujah. Because before you didn't care what people said about you and you behaved the way you behaved. And now that the Lord has come over your life, he deserves the best that we can give him. And I believe he deserves glory, honor, praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus after this incredible celebration. We're in agreement. You've been tremendously good to us. You've provided in ways that we can't even, Lord, sometimes we even forget. But today, this moment, we give you praise. To you be the glory, honor, power, majesty. Anything that we've been able to achieve, Lord, in our lives, in our personal journey, your provision over our families, the well-being of this ministry and this congregation, the abilities to come into this place and kind of move away from the craziness of the city and be able to feel peace in your presence, Lord. Uh, we appreciate that now. We value that. Help us, dear Lord, that your presence will remain in our lives. That this never become a religious exercise, but rather, Lord, a response of a people, Lord, that are, have gratitude and appreciation to you. And that you would receive, Lord, our praises. That it would rise up, Lord, to heaven as a fragrance to fill your presence. And we thank you, dear Lord, praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. You may be seated. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? I am so glad that we're worshiping together. This is a special day. If you woke up this morning, it's a special day. If you're breathing, it's a special day. In fact, even if you feel a little bit of pain, it's a special day. When I was taking biology, I remember they used to tell us, this is how you know something is alive. And they gave a whole list of reasons that uh, why something is alive. And then one of the last reasons, which now I understand, but I didn't understand then, was if you're able to feel pain, you're alive. Because dead things can't feel pain. Hallelujah. Any people here alive? And life, life has a way of buffeting us this way or that way. But God is good. And sometimes life doesn't roll out the way you want or you plan, but God is good. And I don't know where people run to when things get turned upside down, but I'm so glad that I have somewhere that I can run to a source that is higher than I. In fact, the Bible says he's so mighty that I can hide under his shadow. Can you imagine that? It says that his name is so incredible that it makes every knee to bow. His voice is so powerful, he calms the storm. And even Lazarus has to come out and do a dance before him when he calls him out by his name. That's the kind of God that we, that we serve. And so we have to live on this perspective of gratitude and appreciation. In fact, if you grew up, if, if you woke up this morning and the first thought on your mind was, ah, let's see what happens today, the day is going to roll out exactly the way you thought it. 
But I got up this morning, a little bit too early. Would have been nice to have slept a little more. But I got up this morning and I said, this is a good day. And then I looked out the window and saw the dirty snow. And then I looked at the weather. But I started out with, this is, this is a good day. Because if you start that way, your day will line up to God's plan and purpose of your life. Don't wake up in the morning and condemn the day. Don't go into a job interview and say, well, let's see how this thing is going to go. <laughs> you go in there like you own the thing. You, you own the moment. Uh, and it'll turn out to be exactly what you're thinking it will be. And life has a way of allowing us to celebrate great things, but also sometimes we go through these moments that kind of take the wind out of our sail. It happens at work. It happens in relationships. Maybe the doctor has told you something you did not want to hear. Or you know what? Maybe it's none of that. And it's that little voice deep down inside of you that keeps telling you you're never going to amount to anything. Maybe it's that, that inside of you there's this, this storm raging and on the outside you look perfect and wonderful and you look your Sunday best, but you can't get over this impact that you had 10, 15 years ago the abuse that you suffered a long while ago. And oftentimes, our day and our life will be defined by those things that happened so long ago. In fact, if you start thinking about losses and sickness and horrible things that have happened, you stop, don't do it, but if you did that right now, I guarantee you get depressed, some of you start crying, and some of you start, you know. And some of those things are, you just can't erase. As I've taught here before, those are markers in our journey. But I, I refuse to be defined by the mistakes of the past. I refuse to be defined by the heartaches of the past. See, what really matters in our future is not what happened yesterday, but where are you today? There's a great little book you should read. I want to reread it again. I've read it several times, and we've taught it here, The Precious Present. It's the name of the book, The Precious Present, very small, 100 pages or so. And it really talks about that the only way you can face your future is if you appreciate what you have right now. It's when you thank God for the blessing of God right now. And even in those little things that might seem insignificant, we can focus our attention, our energy, what we have inside on the, the wonderful moments that we're living at this time. I believe the future will line up. But if we constantly stay parked on pains of the past, that's going to distract us and deviate us from where we go. Do you know anybody in your life that has ever made a mistake? Was it you? If you focus just on that mistake, really, you know what will happen? Your future will be defined by that. But if you realize that everything, after the place of confession and brokenness before the Lord, everything is covered under the blood, then you'll be all right. And I submit to you that oftentimes in our journey, life is so crazy. Is life crazy? Yeah. It is crazy. Uh, that oftentimes we're left with unresolved issues, unresolved things. We live our life carrying... A big question mark. In fact, what I want to talk about today and preach is a, this sermon entitled Questions. Questions. I think what unites humanity, regardless of what country you live in and what political persuasion you might be and what food you eat, what's your favorite cuisine, every single human being, a common denominator for all of us is that Every single one of us has questions. And some questions are easy and they're solved and resolved. But then there's some questions that we carry all the days of our lives. Some questions are answered. But I just want to give you a dosage of reality. That there's some questions that we carry that will never, ever, ever be resolved. 
We'll have to carry them for the rest of our lives. Now, I think it comes with the pressure. I'm, I'm going to give you hope, but I'm going to lay the reality first. You ever, you, ever, you ever try to solve a problem, and that problem brought up five different things that you didn't think of before? You ever answer a question to someone, and all of a sudden, out of there, ten more questions? That's the way it is. And I think we need to have a healthy perspective on, on questions and those big, you know, question. In fact, Spanish people have a, a burden of carrying even bigger questions, because in English, you only have one question mark. In Spanish, some of our sentences start with a question mark and end with a question mark. And then the first one is upside down. Amen? Say it in Spanish. Amen? Say it in English. Amen? Questions. And what I want to do today is I want to invite you to journey with me so that we can really be united in word, in worship, and in works of service. I want you to walk with me through this uh, uh, sermon of, of humanity. I don't want to talk about pie in the sky. I want, I want to talk about, have you leave here with expectations that might not be fulfilled. I want you to deal with reality for a moment so that you can launch yourself forward to a great and promising tomorrow. Uh, we have to agree that life is filled with unanswerable questions. Too often, one inquiry leads to another and more confusion, and quickly we have this unending cycle of question to question to question. But I guess the, the question has to be, part of the redundancy of question has to be, what is a question? And a question is simply a yearning or a desire or a solicitation for more information. That's what it is. It's this yearning or desire for more data, more information. I need to know more. In fact, in the reading for today, if you're following our biblical reading that we're doing in this church, that we're reading through scripture, and today the reading is in John, it's interesting. I, I want to focus on the passages you see up there, chap chapter 6 of John, verses 25 through 34. But it's interesting, the verses before this, the, the, the story is about this. The, the, the reading of John, chapter 1 through 20, 24, in the first part, it's talking about the feeding of the, five, of the thousands with the fish and the bread. What a miracle. Imagine that. It takes a degree of faith to really believe that story, but it actually happened. And, and we can get a lot of things out of that story that, you know, Jesus cared so much for the people that were following him that he wanted to make sure their bellies were full. That's a good way of interpreting that. The story always also tells us, isn't it amazing, this little boy with fish and bread, so even children God could use. Right? Or we can say, fish and bread, God didn't ask, what do you prefer to eat? Are you vegan or non-vegan? He just gave you fish and bread. Sometimes we just have to take what God gives us. So we, we could preach or teach that, or you can use that passage of the fish and the loaves of bread as an incredible example of administration. Because Jesus organized everything. He told the people, sit down, feed them, bring me the bread. He prayed, feed them, and then collect with you. Organization, we could use that. Or we can use that story to talk about also that God is always an abundant giver. And when God blesses and truly blesses, blesses, there's always a leftover. Because the story says that at the end, they had so much fish and food left over that they were filling up baskets. And everyone was full. We could even preach about that, that when God blesses, he leaves you full. But it's interesting that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses, uses this story. So as the listeners are hearing these stories, they must be tremendously encouraged. In fact, they were so encouraged that, again, the other thing that comes out of this story is not just the feeding of the fish, and I'm going to get to this about questions, but it's this whole thing 
that when the followers saw Jesus speaking the way he's speaking, miracles and signs and wonders and doing what he was doing, they decided to do a political coup d'etat. They decided to do a political maneuver and say, this guy's going to be the king. You read it. It's in the passage. And Jesus picked up on their political motives, and it says that he got out of there right away because what they wanted to do, they said he looks like the Messiah, he looks like the promised one, so let's do our human maneuvers and let's get him to be the king. Jesus got out of there. You've got to be careful when people paint the picture for your future because they could be wrong. Or they could have the timing wrong as well. So the people were all excited of making Jesus the king. But his time had not arrived. You look at it, the verses are there, just before this passage, chapter 6. And then, of course, you have that other wonderful story. And this is all this, the setup of there should be a, a, a euphoric moment as they're anticipating these great teachings of the Lord. And the response of these disciples is, tell me, tell me, I'll do whatever you want to do because here you, you fed the thousands. Here you are. You understood the political maneuvers and got out of it because you're not you're apolitical in that, in that regard. But then the, to top it off, this next miracle that we all know about is Peter walking on water. Anybody here ever walked on water? Peter walked on water. And you may or may not know that, but the whole story of Peter walking on water is not about displaying scientific prowess. It's not about Jesus violating the laws of nature. It really is about faith because Peter started to sink and the Lord said, you have no faith because Peter didn't know whether it was Jesus or not. You look at the story. The smoke kind of confused him. And you've got to be careful, church, you and I, that everybody that says, every, everyone that says Jesus might not be Jesus. Don't be fooled. And so the incredible story, Peter walking on water. What a showcase over the, the lake of Nazareth. They call it the Sea of Galilee, but it isn't a sea. It's actually a lake. And Jesus was walking on it. My goodness, that's a story I love. And for me, because I, I'm science-driven, I like that the, the telegram, uh, text, uh, a Facebook message went from heaven all the way to the, the cells of water, H2O, and told the water, you've never done this before, but you're going to see the shadow of a foot approaching you. Just hold them up. <laughs> I like that. I don't know if you like that, but I like that. There had, to, there had to be a violent change of the process of nature in order for the miracle to take place. Right? Incredible story. So imagine, place yourself listening to this. You would be encouraged. You would come up and say, yes, pray for me. I'm going to be healed. Yes, come up. I'm going to follow Jesus. Right? That's what you would do. That's what, but we forget about the human factor. And the human factor picks up right now in verse 25 where the, the, these people heard this, experienced this, and all of a sudden they're peppering Christ, uh, Christ with, with questions. Verse 25 says the following, When they found him on the other side of the lake, that's the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Nazareth, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you. When you hear him saying that very truly, that means that's an emphatic statement that you don't even have to debate. It just is. It just be. He said, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, and look at this slap in the face, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And this question that they pose, Rabbi, when did you get here, sounds in the initial superficial examination like a concern for them. How did you get here? Did you Uber it to the other side of the lake? Did Deacon so-and-so drop you off? Peter walked on water. Did he carry you across? It seems like it's a concern for his well-being, but it wasn't. And Jesus read right through the fluff of the question. And he says, you're just concerned about filling your belly. That's what he tells them. You're just concerned about what I can give to you. And this 
a point here speaks to a, a, the reality of our human condition, in my opinion. And that is that we are on this unending quest, human quest for self-satisfaction. We get into relationships, not to give, but what can I get back? I love you, will you love me? I'll give you chocolate for Valentine's, will you give me chocolate for Valentine's? I'll compliment you, will you compliment me? That's the nature that we have. There's no way that I can give in, in, a, in, a, in an unselfish way. I need to give, but I need to get something back. That's really the human quest for self-satisfaction. What's in it for me is a common question. And it hasn't changed, uh, church, in all of these years since this writing. This was written in the first century, or the year 90 of the first century. And it hasn't changed. Human desire is quick to grasp for the easy road. You want a better job, but you don't get up to go for the interview. You want to improve, but you won't go take that course. You want the, do you know somebody that knows somebody? What if you don't know somebody that knows somebody? Can you still live? Hallelujah, got quiet here. This human quest for self-satisfaction. Church, I've gotten to a place where I realize things of value in, in life really require work. Amen. The things that you really want, you really value in life, you have to expend energy to keep that. But here we find the disciples apparently are the followers of Christ because it was not just the disciples, but those that had witnessed these miracles, the fish and the loaves of bread, had witnessed the Jesus running away from this political maneuver, uh, witnessed and hearing about Peter walking on water. They're saying here, how did you get here? Be careful with the initial questions that you hear because oftentimes that doesn't reveal what the, where the question is coming from. You get into the habit of listening to the next thing people say after the question. Hallelujah. What are you doing? He says, you're here, and he called them out because you saw signs that I performed, and you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, but do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on, on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Church, be careful with entitlements. You know, if we got what we deserved, you fill in the blank. Some of, some of you just got away. Come on now. We have friends and people that are no longer here. We should have been part of that crowd. Think back for a moment. Why them and not you? You jumped like they did. Right? But we can get into a place where he says, but I deserve this. You know what we deserve? Talking from a biblical perspective? Zero. Nothing. Condemnations. Our actions and thoughts and words disqualify us before God. In the Old Testament, the way people would get things done is that they would, or the righteousness of God, they would do it through work, sacrifices of animals, shedding of blood, going once a year to the holy place and having the high priest offer sacrifice, right? Now it's simply you and I have to just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't have to do those things, but we get this sense of entitlement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor the people by showing up on Sunday. They better have my seat. Come on. Oh, come on. Human entitlement. I deserve this. This is mine. That's self-satisfaction. You will fail in your career. You will fail 
in relationships. You will fail as the head of your home, as a mom, as a dad. You will fail if life is about what's in it for me. And the, Jesus called them out. He looked beyond this question, which was a quest for self-satisfaction. Some people have a view that everything revolves around me. You've known people. They show up and they say, okay, I'm here. Let's start the party. What? Party started before you were here? And who are you? <laughs> but sometimes you have folks that live that way, or you might even feel that way. That it really doesn't get going until I get it going, until I say go, until I fire the shot to start running. No, church, the reality is we need to get to a place. And I don't want to depress you. I just want to lay some reality on you. I'm going to, you're going to feel good in a few moments. But first, you've got to feel bad with me. And the view is sometimes that, that view that everything revolves around me. That's the quest for self-satisfaction. Jesus called them out. And I want to keep burning in your mind. They had just witnessed the miracles. They had just witnessed Peter walking on water. They had witnessed the feeding of the And they asked this ridiculous question because they were more concerned about themselves than others. If this church and this ministry wants to move forward, particularly on the theme that we have for this year, United, particularly in the last part, serving others, we have to get to a place where we realize that the show is not about me. It's about the Lord. An audience of one, that's who we're praising, that's who we're honoring, that's who we're serving. But I want you to go with me to verse 28 through 29, because this, this question of uh, when did you get here takes us to the second question that appears in the text. And after Jesus responds that you're here just for the fish and the bread, and that's all you want, don't dedicate yourself to that. Dedicate yourself to for heavenly and, and things that give eternal life. The Bible says in verse 28, then they asked him, what must I do? To do the works that God requires. What must I do? And this rises to the surface, this discussion that I want to have with you for a few moments about grace and works. Because the question, stop with me for a moment, let's be, let's, let me go Bible study mode right now. He's speaking to a group of people that understood in their inner inside that the only way to appease God was to do things. In the Old Testament, that's what's called the time of the law, living by the law. They had to do certain things, kill animals, shedding of blood, sacrifices being done for the appeasement of sin. And many times those rituals needed to be, happen annually in order for them to appease this mighty God and to look favorably. So the question makes sense from that perspective as you look at Bible history. They were asking a question that made kind of sense. What do we need to do? Jesus answers in a wonderful way, and we need to get this today because oftentimes we think that it's in our doing that we reach the righteousness of God. No, it is by faith. Everything that needed to be done for our justification, Jesus did. When he said it is finished, he meant it. Meant it. He meant it. And oftentimes we get on these maneuvers that I got to do more, I got to give more. Give. I got to show up more. Show up. I got to serve more. Serve. All those things are good and healthy and wonderful. But we got to get to a place where we realize that there is a difference between works and grace. All the work that needed to be done to have us in right standing with God has been done through Christ Jesus. That's why the Lord responds to him. And he says, the works of God is this, to believe in the one who has, that, that, has sent, that he has sent me. To believe that. So what we need to get in our heart and our minds that grace takes us to a place where we believe that Jesus paid the price. I don't know about you, but for me, Jesus is sufficient. Amen. Sufficient. No matter what I face, 
I don't need to sing another song faster with another tambourine with five people dancing. I realize that Jesus is enough. Even if you can't sing, Jesus is enough. Even if you can't pray, Jesus is enough. So I've gotten to a place in my journey that it isn't a religious thing that I need to do, but it's realizing that my faith and confidence is in him. I don't need to do any more works because he declared it is finished, and I accept that that he has said for me on my behalf. What does that mean? That means that when, when you do something wrong, and you, you probably already did this year, and you probably will do many more things wrong this year. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father because we're in a, a time of grace. And, and I'm going to define grace for you in a moment. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for you. He's saying the following, when now you blow it, if you made a big mistake on earth while you're here today, this morning, or even right now, your mind is somewhere else judging people and all that stuff. Or scheming what you're going to do once you get out of here. All those things. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And if you believe in him, he's telling the Father, I'll pay the rest of the bill. That's what he's saying. He says, I'll pay the rest of the bill. Grace, I define it this way. Some people say grace is unmerited favor. That's nice. But when we repeat something too much, we end up not seeing the value of it. I like to illustrate it for you. In fact, I want to illustrate it with you this way. Come up here, Curtis. Come up up here. Curtis is this handsome man, right? He's taller than me. <laughs> right? So, Curtis, me and you, here's what we're going to do. This is, we're gonna, I'm going to illustrate grace to you. You know, I know you're tall, handsome, you're elegant. Look at the way you look. And I'm tall and not so tall, but, you know. We got to touch the ceiling. Okay? So, on, when I count to three, you and I, now don't stretch too much. Don't make me look too bad. Okay, but. One, two, three. Just stretch out your right hand as high as you can. There's more distance for him to touch, for me to touch the ceiling than for him. Right? Grace, I define it this way. It's God makes up the difference. Watch this. That's how I define it. Because if I'm defining it that way, then you don't need anybody. Let's lift up our hands again. You can make me look bad. It's okay. He can definitely, he doesn't need that much. Uh, making up the difference, but I need a whole lot. He's still the best Curtis that God ever made. I'm still the best Mark Rivera that I made. I still offer my, my, my service of integrity and life to him, and so does him. So I can only do so much. No matter what I do, I'll never be as tall as him. Never, right? So I can live with a low self-esteem and, 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 and feeling horrible because I'll never be as tall, or I can say the following. I don't need to work it anymore. I can celebrate that Curtis doesn't need a lot of room to touch the ceiling, but thank God that by his grace, he makes up the difference. Come on, you can put your hands here. Thank you. Thank you, Curtis. I love you, man. Now, why is that important? Because we live our lives feeling that we need to measure up to somebody else. And God and the, the sacrifice of Calvary is the equalizer. It isn't about how many Hail Marys you can say and how much you pray, and if you can do 21 days of fasting or 42 days of fasting. That, that's important. But that doesn't measure God's extension of grace for me. And some of us need more of God to make up the difference. And you're good in certain areas, but you got a bad attitude. You can be moody on Sunday mornings. And so God makes up the difference. You don't have to work it. That's not another thing you have to sacrifice. The price has been paid. So these guys are saying, turn to Jesus, what must we do? Jesus answers them in such a wonderful way. He says, the work of God is this. Look at this with me in a moment in the verse. 
Jesus uses their same language, vernacular, nomenclature to respond to their situation. Jesus does not tell them, well, it's got to be a measure of grace. The word that they use, and the original is the same word, they say, what work do we need to do? They use the word work, labor. Jesus responds to them in the same word that they use. Hallelujah. Get that? He's, he's affirming, he's lifting up their understanding up to that point using the same language, but he's also telling them, but from this point forward, you can't be the same. That's what he's doing for us today. In language that you, can, you and I can understand. In illustrations that say, oh yeah, now I get it. But it isn't just for you to get it. It's for you to be different moving forward. And Jesus says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In other words, Jesus is the one sent. And we need to believe that Jesus will, God will always make up the difference in your life. So we have question one. How did you get here? That's self-satisfaction. We have question two. What must I do? Works versus grace. Look at the third and final observation on questions. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then? I have to stop there because I'm going to get an attack. Can you believe this question? What sign? They just saw Peter walking on water. What sign? They just saw the fish and the loaves of bread feeding thousands and food left over. What sign? They just saw Jesus maneuver himself out of this political coup d'etat to make him king. What? There are some people that are just never satisfied. There's an addiction covering the church today. A real bad addiction that I want to call out. There's a bad addiction, and that is that some people are addicted to miracles. Gimme, 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 gimme. Heal me again. I got to go to church because I got a problem. What about when you don't have a problem? I got to go to church because I got to go have the pastor, the people pray for me because I just lost my job. What about when you had the job? Oh, come on, hallelujah. Addicted. We go to the next miracle and the next miracle and the next miracle and the next miracle. And we, Andre Crouch wrote that great Grammy Award winning song. If heaven was never promised to me, it's been worthwhile having the Lord. If Jesus is it for you today moving forward and nothing else happens, will you still follow him? Or your point of reference, I prayed and fasted for 21 days and he still didn't answer me. Nyeh, 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 nyeh. we got to get to this place of, of maturity to break this addiction of miracles. Right now, if, if the, the news reports that on a church in Midtown, this visitor came in and he's healing every disease and, he, and bondages are being broken, I guarantee you people will leave their churches and go running over there. They won't change their lives. They won't become more dedicated to the Lord. They won't show fruits of their repentance before the Lord, but they'll run to the next spectacular demonstration. God is not about Grammy Awards and Oscars and having great presentations that, that baffle people. God is about going and reaching out to the woman at the well. He's there about reaching the blind person. He's there about go, going to people on the margins and blessing and being with them. But we become a people of miracles. we got to break that addiction. Don't live addicted to the arrival of the next miracle. Because if it doesn't come, what's going to happen with your relationship with God? 
Oh, come on, so many of us have prayed for a loved one to be healed, and they weren't healed. You can't go crazy because he didn't heal them. You've prayed for a miracle in your son, your daughter, and, and it did not happen. What are you going to do? Blame God forever? That's entitlement. That's the beginning, the first point. We end up blaming God. No, life is life. Believers get sick. Hallelujah. Believers shouldn't make you sick, but believers get sick. Are you following me? Things happen. Unemployment affects everyone. Insecurities come in everyone. Depressions. Man, I could go through scripture and show you people, leaders in scripture, that we were studying and watching them as some of the leaders of the church and of faith, and they went through these moments of depression. Stop disqualifying yourself. Stop it. Hallelujah. He said, yeah, but I'm a mess. Yes, you are a mess. But there is a God that makes up the difference. Oh, but you don't know my story. I don't know it, and I don't want to know it, but there's a God that makes up the difference. In our lives. And we keep running after the next miracle. We want another fleece, another confirmation, another... Con Stop it! For some people, miracles are never enough. Never enough. And I'm not against miracles. I'm a product of a miracle. I lived, grew up in the Lower East Side. I had severe asthma, hospitalized the whole nine yards. The, the lead that was contained in the bridge of Williamsburg and the bridge here, and I lived down here, breathing all that in elementary school. My elementary school had asbestos inside and the leaded paint. And all, so I ended up having asthma, but it was the Lord that healed my lungs. Healed me. It wasn't a doctor. My mother even tried to do these remedies. You know these remedies that people do? They told her, take a cactus and cut it the size of his foot and hang it over the stove, and you're going to see that. And I remember the cactus because I remember it pricked my foot when she was right. My mother did all that stuff. But it was one day that she believed not things but the Lord and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. Grace made up the difference, and I woke up that morning singing a song completely healed. So I believe in miracles. How many people here have received miracles in your life? You know the Lord has, you should have died and you're alive. You had this condition and God resolved it. You should have lost your mind. How many people have you know lost their mind but God came in and touched them and they're in their right mind? So this isn't about not having miracles. I believe in miracles. We believe in miracles. And I'll pray for a miracle in your life. But don't get enamored with miracles. Don't get enamored. We all have a list of things that God did not do that we wanted him to do. So you're going to sit there forever. Okay, I love you, but I'm still waiting. I'm naming, claiming, blabbing it, oil all over the place. What if that's not good for you? And he won't tell you because it's going to mess you up. Lord, you know, I love him. I love her. God is saying no. Go with his no. Never mind how many flowers you get on Valentine's Day. Hallelujah. Then later on, oh, God, but God had told me. He didn't tell you. Your, your hormones told you. But that wasn't God. You can say hallelujah for your neighbors. It's okay. Hallelujah. It's the truth. Oh, I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. You move, and then you end up finding out. It wasn't as green, the grass over there, as you thought. And now you have to come back, and now you got God on the hook because you said God told you to move, but it wasn't God. Hallelujah. God needs a good lawyer so he can sue all of us. <laughs> all of us, myself included. Don't live addicted to miracles. Expect them, pray for them, believe them, but do not live addicted. True maturity is that if God does, not, does nothing more for me in my life, 
I still love Jesus. That's maturity. It isn't crying as a baby, pray, and we go, well, we're going to have Pastor so-and-so pray for me. Okay, but nothing happened. Let me go with Pastor so-and-so. Let me have the right reverend come and pray for me now. Let me have the right, right, right reverend come to pray for me. No, but nothing happened. Let me go to the apostle, right, reverend, and then the apostle, right, right, reverend, and then let me get the bishop, right, 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 reverend, and then let me get the most right, 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 right. You know what happens when you keep going right? And I'm not, I'm not picking on that. I am not picking on that. I'm really picking on us, on me, on you, that we get so enamored. What if the answer doesn't come? What? You're going to fall apart? Yes, for a while. You'll grieve. But then you move on. Who, you, you, you've suffered loss. You've suffered disappointment. You've suffered stresses in your life. What you thought was going to be is not going to be. Stop being addicted to miracles. Love the Lord with all your heart and demonstrate true, true maturity. More miracles does not mean God loves us more, but being satisfied with what I have showcases my love for him. I'm going to say that again. More miracles. How many miracles? Oh, let me tell you. A miracle. I have a journal. I have a blog. Miracle after miracle. Miracle. More miracles doesn't mean that God loves me more. No. Being satisfied and settled with what I am with him, that shows. My love for him shows. You're waiting to get married? Love the Lord. You're waiting to make decisions in your marriage? Wait on the Lord. You're waiting for your kids? Wait on the Lord. Stop picking on the kid and get yourself on your knees and pray before the Lord and trust the Lord. And wait on him. No, I don't want to wait. God, God did not invent the microwave. There's no microwave theology. Pop it in for 20 seconds and out comes your miracle. Patience is a virtue. It's a virtue of, of, of maturity. The farmer plants his seed and doesn't go harvest it the next day. He has to wait for the right time. And oftentimes when we go too fast, we mess up. I, I, I remember I, I, I used to cook a lot more. I don't cook that much anymore. And I, I wanted rice. So before it was done, I, I took it off the stove. And then get sick because it wasn't cooked. You just wait a little while, let the, the beans settle and everything settle. When you eat, it'll be fantastic. But oftentimes, I want it and I want it now and I deserve it now and I want it now and I want it now and I don't care, I want it now. And God, just to stop us from complaining, allows and then we get what he didn't really want for us. Oh, come on, you can say hallelujah for your friends if you want. Some miracles... Some people are just enamored with miracles. We need to be settled in what we have right now. And please don't think I'm quenching your, your, your desire for more from God. He want, I believe God, I didn't wake up this morning saying to God, give me whatever's left over. I, wake up, I woke up this morning totally believing that God wants to bless me today. That's how I woke up. Believing that it's a great day, he's going to bless me. So I believe in the miraculous. I'm, I'm waiting for the miraculous. I'm, I'm anticipating but my relationship with God is not determined by an addiction, a compulsive addiction, or to follow what Aaron had preached about, a phobia that God's out to get me. No, I don't, I don't serve God because I'm afraid of him. I respect him and honor him and reverence him. That's different, but afraid because I know if God wanted to get me, the IRS can't find you. Immigrations can't find you. Your family can't find you. But trust me, the psalmist says that. He says, where can I hide? 
So I don't live under this notion that I'm going to con my way, Lower East Side way of getting away from God. No. But I know he wants to bless me. I don't live in fear, of paralyzing fear, but rather of reverence and honor of the Lord. Let me wrap this all up. Questions. Seeking more information. Wanting to know more about him. The disciples and his followers messed this up big time. How did you get here? Self-satisfaction. What must I do? And Jesus said, it's not about works. Everything that was supposed to be done was done. He t- they asked him the question, what sign will you give us that we may see? And but it's such a ridiculous question when I read it again. And, and, and our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus responded to them and said, you know, this guy Moses, he, gave you, he was used as an instrument to bless you when you were in the desert. But that bread came and went. But it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. I live under the simple notion that if you get your life right with God, everything else will fall in line. Simple. Not with church. With God. If you make your spiritual journey and development, make that a priority in your life. In fact, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33. If you make him the priority, everything will line up, watch this now, the way he wants it for your life. Not the way you would want it, but the way you want it. And what I've discovered is that his way is pretty nice. Because he takes care of stuff that you need, you must have, and even the things that you didn't think you could have or ask for, the Lord gives to you. The passage closes for this preaching with verses 33 and 34. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Their questions to the master were selfish in nature. What must I do? How did you get here? I didn't help you to get here. Those are selfish questions. Jesus responds to them that the bread that he is giving is not just for them selfishly, but if you note the text, he's saying, gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Church, we need to realize that what we do as a church has to change. How we carry ourselves in our culture and society has to be different. We're living in trying times and difficult moments where the solutions of yesterday don't necessarily apply to now. I'm of the conviction that the church is complicating the spiritual walk too much. We're adding that, you know, unless you come in and get your coffee card, you're really not a true believer. We don't give out coffee cards in this church because coffee's not going to get you to heaven. Come in and, and do this or that. There's so many things that the church proposes. I believe that it's really very simple. God has called us as a church to be the salt and the light, period. If you can be the salt and and the light in your little cubicle at work or in the company that you run, in the apartment that you live, in the home that you have, this church can be salt and light in this community church. I guarantee you that we're going to see incredible changes happening in our our culture and our society. I live on the notion that the only lasting agency that mankind has 
really are houses of worship. It really is the church. We can't trust government. We can't trust science. We can't even trust education. We can't even trust the almighty dollar. But it's interesting that we don't even have to have a sign that says, in God we trust, because we know when we do trust in him, really trust in him, everything works out in our lives. I'm submitting to you today before I call you up for prayer that perhaps you need to put Christ as the priority. Let that bread of heaven feed you. The song says, feed me till I want no more. Let him feed you. You're going to see that you will have a better home life. Your mind will go to the place where it should go and not the place where it shouldn't go. And when those slippery moments come your way, because he is the priority, you'll be able to call it. You'll be able to run away from those temptations. You'll be able to honor God in every way. Let us stand throughout this place.